Hello, everyone. I'm Justin Oliveris. And I'm Carrie Clements. We are the co-hosts of Food Service for Thought. Not sure how you got here, but we are so glad that you did. Food Service for Thought is a podcast that shares the thoughts and insights from professionals in all areas of the food service industry to transparently unite and strengthen the business of serving food to the public, no matter where they are. We will be talking to food service professionals like chefs, restaurant owners, nutritionists, dietitians, caterers, pastry chefs, kitchen designers, restaurant interior designers, farmers, food manufacturers, restaurant equipment manufacturers, and pretty much anyone who might have anything to do with the food that you eat. So, if you love food, if you are curious about all aspects of the food service and hospitality industry and want to be sure there are always great places to enjoy food, this is your kind of podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Food Service for Thought Podcast. Justin here hanging out with Carrie. Carrie, what is going on this morning? Well, I've had a lot of coffee this morning, and so... Apropos? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, a whole lot. But I had cold brew, so we're going to ask these guys about that, too. Cold brew, all right, yeah. Well, I had a uh, French press this morning, so uh, humble. That but, sounds but so dirty done. to me when people say that. I, it's not, you know, I conjure up something not right, or... Fr- French press? Yeah. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Well, without uh, any further delay, uh, we are joined today by two extraordinary individuals. First one that Carrie and I know from working uh, for several years is Eric Taylor, and he is the Director of Strategic Partnerships at Ballard Brands. Welcome, Eric. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yes, Carrie, how are you? Justin, how are you? Fantastic. And the other gentleman that we are joined by is Felton Jones, and he is the Roastmaster at PJ's Coffee of New Orleans. Welcome, Felton. Thank you very much for hanging out. Thank you. Thank you guys for having us. It's my pleasure. Roastmaster is like a DJ coffee guy. Roastmaster. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, his title so if you haven't is guessed yet, than mine. his title is definitely uh, a lot more fun than mine. It is. Yeah. Do you walk in everywhere? I'm I'm Felton the Roastmaster. Now I'm kind of bashful about that, to be honest with you. <laughs> Just a guy Mm-mm. that roasts coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I say, save, save it for when you really need it. There you go. Eric, uh, Eric's, Eric's title, Director of Strategic Partnerships. I don't, I don't know if there is a more corporate sounding title, uh, but I love it. It's great. So if you haven't if you haven't guessed and you're listening, the uh, topic of today's podcast is coffee, which is awesome. I'm a huge coffee fan. I'm trying to learn more about coffee. Carrie, you are newer to the coffee game. Yes, I actually started drinking coffee when um, when we started representing Frankie. We were at a show, and I was like, oh, I don't drink coffee. And our regional at the time said, Oh, you'll drink this. And I think she put half a gallon of chocolate syrup in and whole milk and you know a dash of coffee and so so you had a milkshake is that what you're saying yes <laughs> okay good that's great all right so the the, the purpose uh, today is to really sort of just chat with Felton and Eric about all things coffee we'd love to learn a little bit about both the uh, your histories and why you got into the industry and kind of go through some fun stuff so Felton, if we could start with you, could you sort of give us a, a brief rundown of your history? How did you get into the coffee industry uh, and kind of walk us through from you know, day one, first sip of coffee to where you're at now as Carrie said, the DJ Roastmaster? <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. Um, it's, uh, I, it's an interesting journey, uh, one I'm proud of. Um, 
just uh, you know, just a young guy looking for a job. Uh, started out part time. Actually, um, uh, I give my brother a lot of credit. He was working for PJs at the time, uh, and he called me up. He said, "Hey, there's a uh, there's a position open. It's a very entry entry level position, um, but uh, you know, you might like it." And I said, "You know, I'll give it a shot." And um, so my intro into coffee was uh, I was the daily cold brew coffee brewer for PJs. Uh, so every day I wow. came in and, um, you know, we're talking in the uh, mid mid 90s or so, uh, we were brewing cold brew uh, as uh, we at PJs consider ourselves as uh, the pioneer of, of cold brew coffee. Um, we were doing cold brew when, when uh, so many people refer to it just simply as iced coffee. Um, and over the years, um, I, uh, I guess maybe about two years into it, I had an opportunity to take the delivery driver job. Uh, one, it paid more, and, and two, it's, uh, I'm a people person, so it got me out of the facility, and I became the, uh, the person that dealt with the customers firsthand every day. Enjoyed the heck out of it, and um, uh, one thing that I did, I guess I was uh, a little bit efficient with my deliveries uh, because I ended up with a lot of time to spare in the second half of the day, and uh, PJ herself, Phyllis Jordan, who I uh, affectionately referred to as my coffee mom, um, she gave me the option to poke my nose around in the facility and, you know, go and see, be nosy, you know, find out what you like, you know, what you enjoy doing and, you know, ask questions. And so the rest was history. Um, I, it just uh, got its claws into me. And, you know, with her encouragement and her backing, um, the sky was the limit for me. Uh, and over the years, it was just a matter of just, you know, dipping my toe into different parts of it, um, getting to understand the roasting side of it, the green coffee side of it, the behavior of the green coffee beans, why we do what we do with certain beans and whatnot. Uh, all of those things came in over the years. And, um, you know, one day it just so happened that uh, uh, as the company continued to progress, uh, changed ownership a couple of times. Um, I was still around and I became the most knowledgeable person within the organization as it pertained to coffee and uh, it's paid off for me. Um, love it. I live it. I breathe it. Um, you know, I've uh, uh, done several interviews, had articles written about me. Most interesting article was uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, post-Hurricane Katrina and the title of the article was Sleeping on the Job but it's okay. Um, and that article was basically highlighting the fact that uh, after Hurricane Katrina, I, uh, I spent nine months living in the warehouse, uh, getting the, the, uh, the business back up and going. Um, and uh, it was an awesome experience, wouldn't trade it for the world. And those are the kind of things that have kept me, you know, uh, just so entrenched in what I do every day. That's, that's incredible. Now, early on, you mentioned you started doing the cold brew and then you switched to being a delivery driver and you had some free time and could kind of poke around the factory and, and learn a little bit. Do, do you recall, was there a moment in time that you realized, oh, this is, this is a passion for me. This is more than just a, a necessary beverage to get me up in the morning. This is something I, I really enjoy and I really want to get deeper into. Do, do you remember, was there a turning point for you? Yeah, it was a turning point. Um, so, you know, my predecessor in my, in my current position, um, guy that's a you know he's local here in new orleans he's still around i think he's you know since retired from the industry um 
but spending some time with him in the QC lab, the cupping lab, um, I was, you know, considering myself to just be nosy. Uh, I had no idea that he was, you know, really uh, kind of working me over the way that he was. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, you know, I'm taking part in a cupping. And uh, I was enjoying everything that was going on. Um, didn't really understand what was going on, but, you know, going through the motions. And he saw something in me that I didn't, you know, I had no clue. I, I didn't see it in myself. I didn't know. Um, and what it was, was he just, uh, he, he deemed me as having a, uh, a pretty good palate. And so he sort of took me on as a project and, um, I trained under him for probably a, a, about a good two or three years. And, um, I think it was just between he and Phyllis, uh, their, their belief in my abilities. Uh, I think at, at a certain point, they probably believed in me more than I believed in myself. And uh, I, I took all of that as inspiration, and I sort of felt a challenge that I couldn't let them down, and uh, it just, you know, it exploded from there. Um, so yeah, it's a, I, I do remember um, I had this experience with wine probably, you know, less than five years ago, where one day I'm drinking a glass of Cabernet, and I'm not drinking wine, I'm tasting the grapes. And it was like that for me with coffee when one day I just realized that uh, this isn't just a cup of coffee because this one tastes different than the one that I had prior to. Or this one tasted different from the one yesterday. And so learning why, it just became interesting. And, you know, I guess as we get further into this uh, into this conversation, you know, we'll cover some of those things. But, you know, uh, who knew that coffee was uh, derived from a fruit that's grown on a tree? Well, that's really interesting, Felton, and really inspiring, to be honest with you. So could you could you do me a favor? Could you nudge Eric and wake him up? Uh, Carrie and I would like to ask him a couple of questions, if that's okay. I don't know. I'm afraid Eric is a little mesmerized over here. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's here. He's, 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 he's taking notes? Get in there, guy. Well, I was, I was looking at Felton all starry-eyed with that inspiring story. I mean, I you know, it's hard to follow up someone who slept in the warehouse for nine months straight. So. Yeah, uh, tough act to follow, but I'll I'll do my best. And I feel like Teddy Bridgewater. Eric's answer is I answered up. a. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Eric's answer to the question is I I answered a job a uh, yeah. job ad in the yeah. paper. So yeah, and end of story, right? Sorry. Okay, Eric. So give us your rundown. How'd you get in the coffee industry? Why do you love coffee? Where was the turning point? All that good stuff. So as I've gotten a bit older. And, and can reflect back on just my career and life at, at this juncture. <laughs> uh, I've, I've realized that that food service was something that really has has been in my blood. So uh, I'll start with my maternal grandfather. He came over through uh, Ellis Island when he was a young boy uh, from Greece. Uh, so I'm a quarter Greek, and he he came over, um, you know, from Greece. Didn't know English at, at all. Really had to learn the culture, but. He uh, pulled himself up by the bootstraps and became a, he owned and operated restaurants in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then later in, in rural West Tennessee, as, which my Tennessee roots stem from that. But he, he came from a family of artisan cheesemakers in Greece. And so he was, you know, he owned diners, uh, barbecue restaurants, Mediterranean style food. He had a, a variety of, of places that he owned over the years. And uh, my grandmother, you know, helped him out with the business and, and was a, was a part of it as well. And, um, I never got, I never knew my grandfather. So he, he passed away when my mother was uh, eight years old. And so I never had an opportunity to, to meet him, but it, but it's pretty cool. So like, 
when we cook at the house, we use some of his mixing bowls and some of his iconic pieces of, uh, of kitchen equipment that, that he used. So I feel sort of like this organic pull and this, this love affair that I have with, with just uh, – the, the, the pieces and the equipment. And, and so that kind of dovetails into what you guys do at Ford Super Wallace with the equipment side. Uh, so th- there's that piece of it. And then my grandmother wound up working at a, at a school cafeteria for 25 years. And uh, Carrie and Justin, I know you guys both are very familiar with, with the high school world as we together sold a handful of coffee machines into, into that world. And there's no greater food service operation than when you're feeding hundreds of students in a very short period of time and you have to keep them engaged and eager and and hopefully wanting to eat day after day after day. So uh, from my maternal side of the family, it was, you know, food service has been been a pull. So the way that I really got into it personally, uh, it was the summer of uh, 1999 and I was a plumber's assistant for about three weeks making $6.50 an hour. And uh, my buddies, we were, we were like, man, there's got to be something better than this where we aren't killing ourselves. Uh, when we get off work, I, I didn't want to do anything but go to sleep because it was just a very uh, laborious <laughs> job. And so that's when we got the bright idea, well, let's just go wait tables somewhere. So got a job at a place called Rafferty's uh, Restaurant. It's actually a, a company based out of Bowling Green, Kentucky. That, that first job was in uh, Jackson, Tennessee, and that's uh, where I met my lovely wife, Shay. We, I was the, the server, you know, bartender guy, and she was the, the hostess expediter. So, uh, you know, I, she was uh, receptive to my game and uh, worked there for two and a half years, met my <laughs> wife. Um, so that was, a, that was a, a great experience, like in the actual, you know, restaurant itself. And further, furthered uh, my restaurant experiences, I became a, a, a manager at Outback Steakhouse for two years. So I had front of house, back of house, that's when I got my first, yeah. Well, that's when I got my first kitchen manager experience. And I lost probably 30 pounds doing that job because it was so labor intensive. Uh, you know, you're working 80, 90 hours a week. And just, you know, the stress of actually being in, in the restaurant was, was, you know, was there. And I stepped away from food service for about a year. I got into, um, I worked with a startup company that actually was a woodworking tool manufacturer. And, and did that for about a year and it was a startup and they moved the office from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where I live now to uh, Pittsburgh. And when they did that, um, I had an opening. I called a college buddy who was a, a recruiter and he was said, hey, I've got, I can get you on at Waste Management, which they do uh, trash removal services. And he said, and there's this company that sells restaurant equipment to McDonald's called Frankie. And I was like, well, let me, that, that sounds good. Let me sign up for that. So went in, uh, interviewed for a temp position and the way they hired me really on the spot. And I had a 12 year run at Frankie, uh, had seven different jobs from uh, you know project management to regional service manager, regional operations manager. I was a technical product support specialist. And then mm-hmm. when I worked with Carrie, when I worked with you and Justin, that was during my, I was a sales director for the central region and had a great experience. Uh, that was my foray into high level sales and and, the, and I did, you know, again, I worked for Frankie for 12 years and had the opportunity to, uh, I think, further, um, you know, grow and come over to Ballard Brands. And, and that's what I did earlier this year. So I've, I've been on the, you know, the coffee side for five years. I was Frankie Coffee, Frankie Coffee Systems North America. 
And now I'm, uh, instead of selling equipment, I'm on the side where I'm, I get to work with some of the great products that Felton uh, churns out for, for the coffee beans. And it, it's been a really, a really cool transition. And one last thing I'll say about it. I feel like um, whenever you have a career where you do, you know, you work in the restaurant and then you work at a company and you have seven different roles. We moved to New England for three years and came back. And so you got to live in different places. Every experience you have is like a different tool in the toolkit. So it's so fulfilling for me now whenever I'm in a place in a situation where I get to draw from a past experience and pull one of those tools out and apply it, whether if it's repairing a coffee machine or whether it's a conversation or knowledge or anything, um, it, it really is something that, that builds and you build that foundation and you continue to build it. And then uh, you wake up one day and you're, you think, wow, I'm, I'm fairly well-rounded and, and can, do, can do a few things. So uh, for anyone out there listening that's, that's young and just coming up through the, through the ranks, uh, just keep after it day after day. And, and that's how you can, can build a career that, where you can look back at, at midlife and be like, well, I'm really proud of, of where I'm at and, and where, what it took to get here and, and what the road ahead looks like. Who said you, you weren't going to be inspirational? You got uplifting message to the youth. You got using your grandpa's kitchen equipment. I'm teary-eyed right now. That's that's great. Well, I had to come correct after uh, Felton's answer, so I, I couldn't yeah. uh, dilly-dally around. Exactly. Great job. <laughs> so what what is, what is your role there at Ballard, Eric? You told right. us about your past and... Um, I want to be in the Lifetime movie when that happens, but um, tell us about what you're doing now. So the uh, my title that you alluded to earlier, it is a bit shrouded in mystery. So uh, that's intentional. <laughs> that way people have to ask. It, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm in national account sales. So uh, PJ's Coffee of New Orleans. Concepts that we represent. We, they have started to really um, go international, but they've gone throughout the country, but it's a really strong base in, in this region, right? I mean, everyone knows PJs here. Uh, well, now we have PJs in Colorado. We have one in downtown Nashville. They're in California, Texas, but it's been something where we're really trying to spread that message. And so I am on the wholesale account sales. So I'm working to get our coffee into uh, college and university military bases hospitals some some non-traditional so you have your traditional brick and mortar you know pj's locations i'm dealing primarily with all the other places where we want our coffee served and and we have a variety of ways of, of doing that so uh, I'm, I'm selling the coffee beans into those types of environments and i would think part part of the the process there is maybe somebody who doesn't want to have you know the uh, the, the big coffee company they don't want to have that in there they want something more authentic something closer to the source is that interesting to people when you call on them about your story it, it is we we have some some things with with pj so it's quintessential to new orleans and new orleans has this gravitas or this draw to it that i think really translates across the country so that was something that helped draw me into the company and so we have that. The secondly, and Felton can talk to this a lot more eloquently than I can, but it's everything we do is small batch roasted, 300 pounds or less. The quality is, is tremendous. And we have direct trade relationships 
with our with farmers. So those direct trade relationships are something and from sustainability, from looking after the farmers historically in coffee, they're the ones that get the rawest end of the deal. And we're helping to change that. And by doing that, you, you have Generation Z and millennials that 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 story is something that is critical to where they want to purchase. They want to feel good. They, if they get a cup of coffee, if they get a sandwich, if they get a pair of shoes, they want to feel like they are positively impacting the world. And PJs, we, you know, we do that. So I really feel like that those are the things that I can sell. Uh, so you're not just selling a bean, you're actually selling a, a story. And, and, and you just so happen to have a really good coffee as well. So th- those, are, those are things that I think that, that help me sell it. And, and Felton can certainly expound on, on direct trade and on some of the things that we do with the farmers because he has his fingertips on the pulse of, of all that activity. And he's really the tip of the spear as far as leaving the charge of our efforts in, in that realm. Yeah, I, I'd yeah, I mean, like to know, hear more about that. I did listen to the other podcast you were on. Was it, uh, well, you've probably been on several of them, but the one there, um, NOLA Famous? Or is it? NOLA Famous, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't want to listen to it because I didn't want to have a lot of that in my head, but it, I did keep listening because it was very interesting when you talked about, um, you know, actually going and working side by side and knowing the people that you're, that's, that's growing your coffee. Yeah, it, it, it makes a difference. Um, well, it, and it makes a difference not just in, you know, quality as far as the, the product. It also makes a difference in quality as far as the people that are there. You know, we, you know, I'm, I'm boots on the ground at our farm in Honduras twice a year. Uh, once at the beginning of the picking season, which is in November, coming up sh- shortly. Uh, and then once as we finish out the picking season to kind of assess how the harvest went. Um, outside of that, we have to really rely on those guys. And what I realized is our commitment to them, um, the fact that we come back over and over again, and it's merely just a handshake deal that we have in place with what we're doing with these guys. Um, but the fact that we're committed, it gives them a sense of purpose. And so they're not there just filling time, uh, you know, uh, doing a task, getting paid for it. Um, they actually care because they they see our commitment. They want us to continue to come back, and so their efforts are on that next level. Um, so that's how that pays dividends, you know, for us. Um, and and being that we're PJs, you know, we're a cafe brand, we're franchise cafe company, um, and that was the you know origin of how the company you know uh, really got its start. Um, to Eric's point, you know, a, a, as you have something like that, if you, you know, if you have a good product like that um, outside of the cafe system, you know, coffee is everywhere. And so, you know, we, um, to spread the love, to share the love and you know, afford others that opportunity, you know, in places outside of cafes, uh, that's where the whole food service side of things come in place for us. And so um, on whatever, you know, level we can, you know, we have many different ways of how we, you know, try to accommodate uh, other customers out there with being able to have their share of, a, you know, being a part of the PJ's family and uh, satisfying their customers with not just quality, but, you know, real heartfelt effort uh, behind the processes of what we do. What, one of the, the questions I wanted to ask both of you, because of what you just said, Felton, about sort of deeper than just selling coffee it seems Carrie and I were talking about this before we turned the mics on that 
it seems in the last you know 10 or so years there's been quite the explosion of the popularity of of coffee but when you really drill down to it it doesn't seem to be that people are necessarily ordering espressos or double espressos it seems to be a lot of mocha frappa yaka yopas uh <laughs> with extra sprinkles on top and i wanted to ask both of you for be, being more on the purist side especially felton with you being a roaster and, and, and working your way all the way up through for so many years how have you experienced that and processed that um not that there would necessarily be any resentment there but as someone who enjoys coffee and then you you notice that the popularity of quote unquote coffee is going up but it's not really because of coffee it's because of you know coffee drinks so i'm just curious to see how both of you have have processed that experience uh as as you've gone through it and, and kind of ex- seen that over the last 10 years well i i mean i think it would be you know So, you know, we, we have our, our appreciation, you know, to those to those those customers, to that sector. Um, what I think has happened in the last, you know, 10 years or so, I guess, is um, there's also almost like a, a, a little level of exclusivity. So, you know, if you are a consumer in this coffee industry and you dare to explore in the purest side of things, there's so many different things anything from different brewing methods to um you know to to you know different origins single origins of coffee um different processes at the farming level that you know can transform a, a coffee bean uh to 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 uh you know taste different ways when it comes out of the roast uh just because of how it was processed at the farm you know you hear some of these buzz terms like naturals and honey honey processed and um it's 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 intriguing and so there is something there and i think it's creating a little bit of a a curiosity that uh if if a person can you know allow themselves to be broken away uh at least even you know periodically from the whipped cream and the milk and the sugar and the half and half uh and just come over to the side of purism um, there's some wonderful experiences, you know, to be had. And coffee is a very social beverage, you know. Um, and then it's also, uh, there's a little bit of status quo there. You know, we see that when you go into a cafe and three people can order the same drink and have three different ways of, you know, how they order that drink because everybody wants yep. that individualism. They want that uniqueness. Um, so, you know, a lot of that is status quo. Uh, but from a purist standpoint, there's so much that coffee is offering right now. And then these, you know, these uh, cafes that are popping up all over the place, be it, you know, small chains or mom and pops, um, they're featuring like different things that are like just they these things just pique your curiosity. You know, let's look at cold brew. Um, cold brew has exploded all of a sudden. Um, you know, kudos to the guys at Starbucks. They, uh, you know, they took on cold brew. They started blasting it out there. All of a sudden, people get 
you know, curious, they become knowledgeable, and iced coffee is a thing of the past because, you know, the real iced coffee is now cold brew. And uh, from my perspective, I appreciate that because they can capture the audience and then we can actually come along and say, okay, yeah, cold brew, we got it, you know, uh, check it out and, and, you know, we'll impress. So, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's really sure. about education. I so, Eric, I know nothing says fall to you like grabbing your Ugg boots and a scarf and getting a pumpkin spice mm-hmm. latte. But how have you, on more of the commercial side <laughs> and how we talked about our past lives of working um, together with, with schools and everything, how have you processed that the, sort of the explosion of the, the coffee-flavored drinks but not necessarily pure coffee or, or coffee purist? How have you approached that, looked at that, and, and where do you see that going? So one thing that really crystallized that for me, uh, Heather Perry, she's a world champion barista. She owns uh, Clatch Coffee in Southern California. They have, I believe, three to four locations. They're based out of Rancho Cucamonga. She was the um, president of the SCA for a, for a stint. And she's you know a coffee expert uh, at, at a really high level. And I had the chance to work with her on a few projects um, and when she was, where she was a consultant and, and when I was at Frankie. And we actually brought her in um, to speak at, at one of our sales meetings a couple of years ago. And she said, you know, if you go to to Starbucks, one of the top three drinks, if not the number one drink, is the vanilla latte. <laughs> it's a quintessential mm-hmm. drink. It has the coffee in there. So you have a, you know, a single or a double shot of espresso. You have the steamed milk, a little bit of milk foam, and you have the vanilla flavoring, the syrup in there, right? So that is not, you know, by measure of, of, of coffee, like a purist drink. So in her store, they have single origins at Clatch coffee. So go from Starbucks. Now let's talk about Clatch. They have all the, the single origins. You can get it with AeroPress, French press, all these different methods of preparation. And they have different drinks that you can try different coffees from, from different lots from, and, and you can go through all that. But she said, do you know what the top drink that we sell is? The vanilla latte. Mm-hmm. So the point is, whether you're going into a third wave coffee shop, whether you're going into, um, you know, your local PJ's cafe, whether you're going into a, a Starbucks, whether you're going into, uh, you know, whoever the local roaster is in, in your neck of the woods, uh, people are going to gravitate towards what, what they want. And you have to sell what they're buying. And to Felton's point, if they come in five times and they get a vanilla latte or a pumpkin spice latte or something of that ilk four of those times, but then they come in that fifth time and they're like, you know what, I'm going to try something a little more coffee centric, or I'm going to try, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. That's how you segue them over. It's almost, I, I always like to compare it to, to wine. We've talked mm-hmm. about wine earlier. Uh, I remember when I first started drinking wine, I was drinking, you know, White's Inn or Boone's Farm or, you know, you never, if that is even considered a wine. But that was but just now your I breakfast want something. wine. That was just your breakfast drink. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Boone Farms, you could even put a little uh, aristocrat vodka. Anyway, I won't go there. But uh, what, what I'm saying is, yeah, I know, right? Uh what I'm basically saying, you start sweet and you, you get drier or mm-hmm. you get more fuller bodied or you get, and it's a transition. Yep. And I think coffee is the same way. People are transitioning their palate at all times. And uh, just because they're at a place where they like something sweet and that may be where they stay and that's totally fine. And, and you have to sell what, 
what people right. are buying. And, and I think that um, when Heather said that about the vanilla latte at her, at her coffee shop compared to Starbucks, that really helped crystallize it for me. You know, here's the thing about the pumpkin spice thing, though. This is just everybody. It's your favorite drink. Look, everybody, everybody thinks they have to be on the pumpkin spice bandwagon. And it's not just coffee. If you go to HEB, which is the grocery store by my house that I shop at, it's a Texas chain. Um, every Everybody, pumpkin. There are pumpkin spice Pop-Tarts. There's pumpkin spice dish soap, which, Okay. And people are just like, it's a thing. It's on Facebook. That's the the signal of the start of fall. And I'm just telling you, I'm not on board. That's all I have to say about that. That's my little rant. Um, so there. Okay, moving on. Yeah, that's, well, that's I'm glad the, you were able Carrie's to. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you were able to get that off your chest. This is so. the only reason <laughs> for yeah. this podcast. It's not really about connecting. Yeah, Carrie's going to hang yeah. up now. <laughs> That's it. Um, but cold, so I, I, I want to go back to cold brew, Justin. Um, I read that cold brew, um, it's easier for me, by the way. Um, I, I will drink hot coffee, but I do have to put a, a, a milk in it and stevia or something. But I the thing that I like about cold brew is it packs a lot of punch, but it's not as... I don't know if bitter is the right word to me, but it feel it tastes different on my, you know, it tastes different to my palate. And so I, I really enjoy it, but it is different than iced coffee. And I'm not sophisticated about coffee at all. I like, I'm a, I'm a tea drinker and I like, you know, I like that scene, but the cold brew is definitely a lot different. And I, what, what is different? Is it the, what happens to the bean during that process? I mean, to the flavor, can you talk more about that? Because it's, it's kind of cool. I am so glad you asked that question. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, you got all the attributes 100% correct. So um, essentially, so here's a little bit of coffee science for you. Um, When you brew hot coffee, the hot water, let's just say it activates that bean. So it's more than just an extraction that's taking place. But there's a level of acidity within a coffee bean that really just comes to life when that hot water comes into contact with the grinds. Um, That is the authentic meaning behind cold brew in that the difference between a cold brew and a nice coffee is that in in days of past, iced coffee was just simply uh, hot brew coffee that was poured over ice or chilled. Uh, Cold brew is actually a cold brew process where you do these you do this process with room temperature water um you never heat the water which is one of the reasons why the uh the uh steeping time uh is you know lengthy so the typical cold brew process at home if you had a uh what we refer to as a toddy kit or a toddy maker um it's basically like a like a large tupperware bowl that can hold like a pound of coffee grinds Um, They need to be coarsely grind because um, they are uh, because of the time that they're going to steep. Otherwise, it would turn bitter. Um, But you take these coarsely ground uh, coffee grinds and you uh, fill that container up with water and you let it steep for 
up to 24 hours. Um, usually in the, on, the, on the low end, a pound, you probably could get away with 14 to 18 hours on that. Um, we do much larger batches where we go 24 hours. Um, but yeah, you, you do it at night, one evening at home at your counter, and you just leave it sit there. You come back the next morning, you wake up, and you drain that. Um, obviously, there's a filter in place, and you, what you drain out is the cold brew concentrate. Uh, and there's you know recipes out there for what you do from there. Uh, what has happened now is because so many consumers are doing it at home, uh, it gives you the option to choose your level of dilution. Uh, so the typical dilution is one-to-one -one with water. Uh, some people cut that down because they like a, um, to your point, Carrie, it's a, it's an opportunity where you can make it a really strong uh, flavor profile without it being bitter. And because of the, uh, the, uh, the use of room temperature water, you have zero acidity there. And that is the number one health attribute with cold brew coffee. Uh, people who drink coffee and get a reaction of acid reflux or what have you, um, cold brew is the way for them to go because they will almost have no issues whatsoever with regards to that. It's a miracle. That is, that's fascinating. It, it, so I didn't know that that's why I wasn't having acid reflux anymore because uh, I quit drinking coffee. You know. um, but I'm back and that's why. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> And um, uh, Santa Claus, if you're listening, I want to I want a kit so I can do that at home. Some, I, I really do enjoy it. And um, hey, Carrie, yeah, I know a guy. Do you? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Santa, Santa, Santa Claus. Uh, so, um, Felton, along with <laughs> with what you were saying about the cold brew, and then before you had mentioned something about it. Uh, coffee really being social side right there's really a social element to coffee yeah, yeah. i think that's a that's a great point because it's very non it's a very non-threatening way to meet or to communicate with people right let's mm -hmm. grab a coffee that's very disarming very very easy very casual mm -hmm. but what you were mentioning before and carrie you alluded to this with the cold brew is that it, it can be pretty intimidating to drink and navigate your way around a menu so you did a fantastic job of breaking down very, very simply and easily to understand the cold brew side. Felton, can you kind of walk us through the just sort of very, very basic, uh, the different types of roasts and then maybe some of the basic ways you can prepare coffee, such as using a French press or a Chemex or a yeah. drip or whatever. And then Eric, um, you can kind of we kind of weave you in and out to kind of talk about some of the different uh, milk infused drinks like a latte and a cappuccino and mocha sort of what are those differences you see those on menus what what do those mean what am I getting when I get each of those so I get the pure stuff you got the frou-frou right right that, that's fair <laughs> that's fair <laughs> All right, so um, no that, that 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 that's awesome um, I would say that um, it's it's uh from let's let's just start with the beans so you know uh earlier we we we, we uh, mentioned things like elevation and how that affects the beans and whatnot i can simply tell you that it it affects the beans uh, tremendously because the higher elevation um will yield the more dense coffee bean and why is that important well as a roaster uh that density gives me the ability to be more uh, uh, wide uh, range and wide range in my thought process on what can I do with this bean. Uh, so if a bean is very, very dense, I can achieve 
a nice medium roast. I can achieve a nice full city roast, and I can certainly achieve a nice French roast, a really nice dark roast, because the bean has the density to be able to hold up to the roasting process. So that's really, really important. Um, and so that's why certain countries of origin, um, like a Brazil, for instance, uh, it is not very often that you run across a Brazilian bean being a French roasted or dark roasted bean uh, because it is a less dense bean than, let's say, a Costa Rican coffee bean grown at, you know, uh, 2,000 meters or something like that. Um, so. Exactly, exactly. It gives me a wider range in the roasting spectrum. So, you know, if I'm if I'm looking to provide you uh, with a really nice, you know, good, smooth tasting, dark roasted coffee, there's certain coffees of origin, certain countries of origin that I'm going to look to as to what bean I might use to, you know, to make that happen. Um, another interesting uh, fact about the elevation I can tell you is... Uh, this is this is a uh, little known to most people. So we all know that coffee contains caffeine. Um, there's uh, two, basically two types of coffee. There's arabicas and robustas. Uh, arabicas are your higher grown, higher altitude grown. Um, you know, we've all heard the Folgers commercials where they say mountain grown. Um, what they're symbolizing with that is that it was grown along the mountainside, which means it was grown at some higher elevation. Robustas are grown at lower elevations. Robustas are also known to have more caffeine. Um, and there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is because the, the plant, the tree, uh, it, it's smart. Um, that tree at that lower elevation is going to be more susceptible to bugs and diseases and things like that. And so it, it builds up more caffeine within itself because the caffeine is a natural defense system against those things. Whereas coffees grown at the very high elevations have less risk of the bugs and the infestations and things like that. And so those trees produce less caffeine. So, you know, little, uh, little science there for you guys. Um, translating that over into the, um, the different brewing methods, um, I would say that, you know, you mentioned French press being one, you mentioned a Chemex, um, man, you, 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 you must have the collection at home, I could say, because uh, those are probably my two favorite ways of brewing coffee. Uh, pour over is like the newest, latest and greatest. Uh, it's not new by far, but to the average consumer, it's being touted out there more so than anything. I love the control that you get with being able to pour at your own flow. Um, water directly over the grinds and um, it's just like seeing it happen it's just like seeing the magic happen right before you um, so that's becoming real popular at home French press is always like the hands down easy way to go great cup of coffee it's a cup of coffee that gives you the ability to experience the oils the essence of the oils that are going to naturally come from the coffee grinds and that's all a, a part of the flavor experience that you get um, and then, of course, you know, hot drip is uh, is always going to be probably tops just because the industry drives it that way. Um, one of the things that I, I, I talk about when I do a Coffee 101 is uh, the average consumer, even if they're aware of French press, even if they have a French press at home and they, they may have a pour over at home, a Chemex or something, um, when you go and buy your coffee, 
um, at, at the HEB, let's say, Carrie, um, there's probably a limited selection of whole bean coffee there on the shelf, but most of that coffee is going to be ground because the grocery store is catering to the everyday consumer. And if any of those consumers are brewing their coffee in any way other than a hot drip coffee machine, they're not going to have a good coffee experience because that coffee was ground with one intention, hot drip. It wasn't intended for the French press. It wasn't intended for the Chemex. And that's the importance of knowing and understanding how all of those brewing methods have certain elements that go with it as far as the types of coffee you may use and the types of grinds you may use. So, you know, consumers are getting a lot more educated because consumers are curious people. We all are. And um, as we go into these cafes these days, these, you know, these third wave, fourth wave cafes, we're intrigued by all of this stuff that we're seeing. It's the social aspect, I think, that keeps us coming back to these cafes because you can do all of this at home, but it's coffee. You want to share it with somebody. So who do you share it with at home? So getting out to that cafe, you know, seeing your favorite barista, meeting the people that you meet up with, that's what it's really all about. And that's what coffee, I think, will always hold to. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Food Service for Thought podcast with Carrie and Justin. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And really, even if you didn't, we'd really love it if you leave a positive comment on iTunes. At the very least, please give us a thumbs up and be sure to check in for our next episode. Thanks again. Have a great day. Bye-bye.